You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Good morning. morning. Are you glad you're at church today? Have you heard the good news? Jesus is alive. Amen. Yeah, so pumped to be here. Um, Very honored and excited. Can you give it up for our worship team? Aren't they incredible? So amazing. Just uh, super blessed to get to come to a church where, if you're a first-time guest, um, one, welcome. Church, can we welcome our first-time guest? Thank you so much for being here. Um, we, uh, We are a church that believes that Jesus is worthy of everything that we have. And so, yes, worship is a little long. And so um, you'll learn at some point to bring comfortable shoes and uh, everything will be fine. I'm just kidding. If at any point, like during worship, you just need to sit, sit. Like I'm pretty sure the Lord's not gonna be like, yeah, you sit on that one Sunday during worship. I'm sorry, but you can't come in. You just, you're, you're out. Totally, totally a safe place. We, we, we want you to understand this, that the Father is for you. And the body of Christ at Renew Life Church, we are for you. And so that's our intention and that is our goal and our plan. So we're so welcome that you would, uh, honored that you would come and join us. My name is Cody Sykes. I'm the campus pastor of Midland, Renew Life Church Midland. Uh, We have a church in Lubbock that we just launched uh, over, just over a year ago. And so that church is thriving and growing. And just to give you an idea, if you're a first time guest or you're new and maybe you hadn't heard these things, but our vision is to have seven churches um, in the vicinity of Texas that represents like eastern, uh, I mean, western Texas, uh, all the way up to Amarillo. So the, the cities of this, Wichita Falls, Abilene, Amarillo, Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, and Roswell, New Mexico. How that one got on the list, I'm not sure. It must have been the Lord because we've all been like, Lord, please don't send us to Roswell. <laughs> so if you feel called to ministry, and you feel called to aliens, just call me after service and we'll see what we can do about getting you hooked up and ordained and all the things and and you'll just plant a church. Like, no, I'm not doing that because I don't wanna go, I don't even wanna drive through there. The Lord is redeeming Roswell as we speak, amen? We are a church that that likes to have fun. You know it's okay to have fun in church, right? Cool. So uh, I'm, I'm just really honored and, and excited to share today. I, I'm, I'm very excited. I, I love the fact that, um, that Jesus is a redeemer. And all throughout scripture, and today I wanna talk through some of this, but all throughout scripture, this is not anything that's hidden, this is not something that you don't know, but all throughout scripture, we see Jesus constantly having a relationship and constantly doing life and pouring into people that no one else seems to be pouring into. It's, he's attracted to these people that are the outcasts. He's attracted to these people that are washed up, so to speak. They're not even, they're not even considered for the, the B team. They're actually in search of water boy jobs. And those are the kinds of people that Jesus is like, I wanna hang out with you. These are the kinds of people all throughout scripture that we see Jesus pouring his life into. In Luke chapter four, verse 18, it says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In verse 20, he goes on to tell the people, he said, in your hearing, the scripture has been made, made manifest. In other words, I am the one that was being prophesied about in that moment, and I am here to do all of those things. And anytime in scripture we see where Jesus has conflict, it's most likely with people that are not willing to go low enough to admit that maybe they are brokenhearted. He comes in conflict with people that maybe they can't go low enough to admit that they actually need someone other than themselves in their life. These are the kinds of people that we see Jesus having conflicts with. But the people that are willing to go low and take on a humble approach, the ones that say, you know what, actually, I need hope in my life. Jesus literally comes and he starts redeeming people in those moments. The people that say, you know what, I actually don't have vision for my life. Jesus, will you come and open my eyes so that I would see things in the natural, see things in the spiritual. And Jesus comes in those moments. Jesus is a redeeming God. Amen? So we're gonna dive into some scripture in just a moment. Before we do, I'm gonna pray one more time and just ask the Lord just to, to, to reveal himself in scripture. Father, I just ask you that you would come and you would just, um, you'd be with us. I thank you for every person in the room. Yeah, I thank you for the hearts that are here, the families that are here, the young kids that are here. Bless them, Father. And I, Holy Spirit, I ask you to uh, reveal your heart, reveal the heart of the Father to us as we open scripture, as, as we pray, as we read, uh, that, that you would make the things on the page come alive to us, that we would walk in a greater degree of relationship with you after today, that you would show us something today that we can lay hold to, attach ourselves to, so that we might leave believing more so that we are the redeemed of the Lord. And so I thank you for these things, and we bless you, bless you for doing all that you did, but then we thank you so much for the fact that you did not stay in the grave. You were the only one, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm gonna go into, uh, I'm gonna talk about three different people in scripture. We're gonna talk pre-crucifixion, crucifixion, resurrection. I believe that uh, we can talk about the resurrection, but I also believe that there's so many things that happen in this this weekend, so to speak, these few days that led up to that moment. So we're gonna dive into three sets of scripture. The first place that we're gonna go to is Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we're gonna start in verse six. I love the sound of Bibles, pages turning, it's so beautiful. It says, now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them. Just so you know really quick, the he that was accustomed to releasing a prisoner, that was, uh, his name was Pontius Pilate, he was the governor of Rome. So it says that he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained to his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitudes, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he has always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Verse 11, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that, they, so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered, them and said, Pilate answered and said to them, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, 
What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, he released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Scripture introduces this man, Barabbas, right as Jesus is fixing to, he's literally on trial, and Jesus is fixing to move forward in the process, and Scripture introduces Barabbas as this man who is a murderer, a man who is guilty of leading an insurrection. He's a rebel, he's a thug, he's a criminal, he's a murderer, and so you have Pilate in this place of authority, and on one hand, he's got Barabbas. On the other, he's got Jesus. And he asks the people, who do you want me to release to you? In other words, I'm gonna release one of these two, but who is it that you want? And they begin to scream for Barabbas in this moment. You've got this man who is sick and twisted and and deserving of crucifixion, deserving of shame, deserving of punishment. He's a murderer, he's a bad guy, and then you have Jesus. Jesus obviously is this person that we read about and this person that we know in our hearts and he's this healer. He's this miraculous one. He's this lover of the unlovable. He is this healer of the sick. He is a redeemer of those that are said to be un, uh, unredeemable. He's this, this man that, that cleanses the leper. He is this one that raises the dead from their grave. He is Jesus. And he says, which one do you want? And they say, give us Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus just stands there silently. Watching all of this go down. But he knew the will of the Father. Jesus literally just stands there and exchanges places with Barabbas in this moment. I think it's interesting that you could read this story and you could think that the people or the governor over Rome at the time had the power to release this one in particular criminal. But I believe it was because of the love of the father that Barabbas was even released. What's interesting about Barabbas' name is it means son of the father. You take the first part of his name, Bar, that that means son, and you take the second part of his name, Abba, and that is father, son of the father. There could have been any other, any other prisoner selected in that moment, but God knew that the son of the father was going to have to redeem a son of the father. It's all part of God's plan. God doesn't miss a single thing. God doesn't, doesn't uh, rush past things. He knew that he was going to have to redeem this one, whose name means son of the father. There's a mind-blowing amount of love that God had for this man, this bad man, this man that most of us would not have picked, most of us would not have chosen, most of us would not have switched places with him, but in Romans chapter five, verse eight, we see that God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for sin. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He has his very own love for Barabbas. The Father has his very own unique love for you in the room. I love that about God. In his, in his infiniteness, in his bigness, he literally has his very own detailed personal love for every single person sitting in this room and the ones that aren't. It's absolutely fascinating and mind-blowing to me how much he is invested in who we are. Let's fast forward to the crucifixion of Jesus in Luke chapter 23. It says that when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, Having saved, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, do not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Mark chapter 15, we see Jesus standing between Barabbas, between his freedom and his imprisonment. Fast forward to this portion of the scripture in Luke chapter 23, and we see Jesus being crucified between two criminals, two thieves. And in this moment, Jesus is once again in the midst of company that none of us would have ever wanted to die amongst. We would consider ourselves so much more worthy and so much more distinguished than two thieves. Why is it that Jesus, the, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, all of these things would even be associated with this kind of a person? But it was his character and it was his nature because he came to, to seek and to save that which was lost. In this moment, the religious leaders and the soldiers, they begin to mock Jesus, telling him, if you are who you say that you are, save yourself. It sounds so much like the enemy when he took Jesus up onto the high place and said, all that you can see, I'll give it if you just throw yourself down. Like there's this constant thing in, in Jesus' ear that's constantly seeing if he will break out of the will of God for, for his life and for your life. And one of these thieves in this moment, he begins to join the crowd in the ridicule of Jesus, saying, yeah, if you're, if you're who you say that you are, then save yourself and save us also. But the other one, he has a different experience. He says, don't you realize that we, 
We're crucified and we deserve the crucifixion, but this man has done nothing wrong. And out of his mouth, I want you to notice the words. He says, Lord, I believe that something happened on the cross in this man's life where he saw who Jesus said that Jesus was. He saw all of the things that Jesus said that he had done. And in a flash, he recognized, oh, this is the actual Messiah. His heart was shifted in this moment. And the only thing that he could say was, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, I'm confessing out of my mouth what I now believe in my heart about you, and it's true. And Jesus says in this moment, you'll be with me today in paradise. Jesus redeems this thief. I love that in the, in the last moments of Jesus' life on the earth, before Jesus died, his plan for redemption is still being executed even before he breathes his very last breath. He is invested in your redemption. Let's fast forward to the resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 11. It says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but didn't know that it was Jesus. I'm like, was it because she was just crying so hard? Had to have been. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing Him to be the gardener said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to your brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and they had spoken these things to her. I think it's amazing that Jesus appears to Mary first. Jesus appearing to Mary first was so in perfect alignment with his plan for redemption. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, all the way back in Genesis chapter three, on that end of the Bible. It's like, oh, that's a lot of pages to flip back through. It's all the way over there. But we see Eve, and we know the story of Adam and Eve and how, how God had created this perfect, this perfect garden and this paradise and this place of splendor for them, and he just said one thing, don't eat of that tree that's in the center of the garden. And we know the story, Eve is, is, is deceived by the, by the serpent in this moment. She takes of the fruit, she gives it to Adam, he's deceived, they eat, they sin, Their eyes are opened, all of those things happen, and and separation comes on the earth between them and the Father. We know this story. I think it's amazing that, that Eve may have been deceived in a garden, but Mary was redeemed in a garden. If Eve fell into sin in this garden, she was deceived by the enemy. It was so much like the Father's plan for redemption to, to, redeem a woman in the garden. 
In John's account, it says that Jesus revealed himself first to Mary Magdalene, of whom had seven demons. At one point, this woman that Jesus reveals himself to was demon-possessed by seven different demons. The number seven representing divine completeness and uh, divine perfection. I think it's so much like the enemy to see what God is going to do in someone's life and say, I'm going to come at them and I'm gonna attack the completeness of the Lord in their life. I'm gonna attack the perfection of the Lord in their life. I'm gonna attack all of the plans of the enemy. I mean, all of the plans of God in the life. I'm gonna cause deception to come in. I'm gonna cause oppression to come in so that hopefully I'll get them so off track that I'll have deceived a woman in the garden here and I'll deceive a woman in the garden over here too. But God said, no, you might have deceived one, but I'm gonna redeem the other. If you're a woman in the room, you need to understand this, that you're redeemed. You're redeemed by Jesus. Eve may have missed it, but I feel like the Lord is saying, I am here to redeem my daughters. Jesus appearing to Mary first speaks of God's desire to redeem women, but it also speaks of his desire to empower women. Like, oh, you're fixing to get on one of them sub boxes? I am. <laughs> Jesus tells Mary, he says, tell the disciples that I am alive that I'm coming to my father and your father. I am, I am coming, tell them to get ready for me. He entrusts Mary with the scripture. He entrusts Mary with the word, but then he tells her, go a little further, I'm gonna empower you and I'm telling you to go tell the people about what you just found out. And I feel like the Lord is saying this, in all of the efforts of the enemy to silence women, the Lord is redeeming them. The resurrection, was for the redemption of the son of the father and for the daughters of the father. And this includes every single person that walks the face of the earth. Amen. He missed nothing. He makes no mistakes. If your voice and you're a woman in this room and your voice has been silenced, I'm telling you that God is redeeming your voice today. If your hope has been deferred and you feel like you've been constantly put in hopeless situations, I believe that God is redeeming your joy and it's coming alive this morning. We need you. We need moms, we need grandmothers, we need spiritual moms leading the charge alongside men. We need parents, spiritual parents, wrecking havoc on the enemy's plans on the earth. God is redeeming women and he's empowering them in this moment. God is so invested in your redemption. That's amazing. Let's close with this. I've got five minutes. Romans chapter eight, verse 31. Y'all good? Y'all with me? Perfect. What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. 
For God himself has given us right standing with himself. You are in right standing with God today. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he, is seating, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. What this means is this. If Jesus once stood between Barabbas' freedom and Barabbas' imprisonment, Jesus is actually saying, now I am seated between you and the Father. Not one of us in the room are perfect. Even those of us that have been born again, and every single thing that you do that still offends a holy God, because I don't know if you know this or not, but God actually hates sin. He loves you. He just hates the sin in your life. He hated it so much that he gave his best and his only. And now his best and his only is our advocate. So the moment that I miss the mark, the moment that I, I, I don't do what I'm assigned to do on the earth, the moment that I lie, the moment, whatever that sin looks like for you, you have an advocate in heaven that is sitting between you and the Father and he's saying, Father, you remember. You remember the, the death that I died and the scars on my back. I did that for them. And now the Father sees Jesus and he sees the blood of Jesus covering us white as snow. This doesn't mean that we keep on going sinning. It means that we've been free from sin and we've been empowered to live in a completely different way. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love, it goes on to say. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is yours through Christ Jesus who loved us overwhelming victory is yours through Christ Jesus who loves you. Overwhelming victory is yours through Christ Jesus who loved you. Overwhelming victory is yours also through Christ who loved you. This is good news. If Jesus is victorious and I share in the resurrection of Jesus, saying that I have laid down my old way of living, I have died to myself, and now I'm alive with Christ, victory is also yours too. A few people believe me, I appreciate that. The truth in all of what I'm saying is this. We are all three of these people. We are Barabbas. We are the thief. We are Mary. There's been moments in every single one of our lives where we stood in a position where we were standing in a place 
because of the things that we had done. And Jesus says, I came that you would have life and life abundantly. Will you trust me with your life? And we say things to the effect of, no, I deserve, I deserve what I'm dealing with. If you've ever had the thought of, I've gone too far for Jesus to redeem me. It's time that you would actually pick up the life that Jesus has laid his life down for you to have and you walk towards your destiny. Jesus already walked towards the cross. Jesus already took the thing, the shame, the defeat, the guilt. He actually took it with him and he went ahead and crucified it as well. And then he came back alive as if, as if to say, now I'm applying everything that I did on the cross in your life. You have full freedom. The victory is yours because I love you. I love the fact that Jesus is the great redeemer. If Jesus is victorious, then he's given us overwhelming victory as well. The good news is that you've been redeemed. And the best news is that Jesus is alive. I said Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Come on, you ought to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. There's no one like him. Don't stop, there's no one like him. Jesus is alive. He's alive for me, he's alive for you. He's alive for your grandkids. He's alive for your great-grandkids so that they might experience something that you never experienced. Jesus is invested in your redemption. Jesus is alive. The only one who prophesied the way in which he would die and said, oh, I'll come back. I'll rebuild the temple in three days, and he actually did it. Name another God. I'll wait. Actually, I can't wait, I don't have that much time. <laughs> Jesus is the only one, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.